Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a fantasy writer for Football Outsiders. Football Outsiders is coming to you live Monday through Friday at 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. Pick You pick. It's on YouTube Live. It's on Twitch. It's on Twitter. It's on Facebook. You can catch us on all of those places. Uh, Aaron Schatz, Mike Tanier, and others handle Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday talking non-fantasy topics. But then I'm here Tuesdays and Fridays for fantasy topics. And every Tuesday, we also have Derek Klassen, our, our uh, scouting expert, to help me with the waiver wire recommendations. Uh, Derek, it sounds like you were up early this morning cramming some film work, although maybe not necessarily for football. How's it going, man? Yeah, uh, I've been up since about 4 a.m. watching the League of Legends World Championship, which is definitely a different kind of film grinding. But, yeah, yeah. you know, when it's in Iceland and you want to watch it, I mean, what can you do but wake up at 4 a.m.? <laughs> I think that works, and I think we should tease everybody that we're definitely going to break down some League of Legends after this to, to boost our Twitch numbers. Um, but for the, next, <laughs> for the next hour or so, we should probably talk about what we're here for, which is waiver wire for week six of the NFL season. There's some really interesting names this week, Derek. Uh, as always, we're going to play our game where, based on the waiver wire article that I wrote that's up on footballoutsiders.com, in that, I'm, I'm recommending fab percentages for, for teams to pick up these players. And with your scouting expertise, you can kind of critique what I have going for us. Uh, we'll start that with Kadarius Tony, wide receiver for the Giants. This is a player we talked about a little bit in the preseason, is maybe not loving him in his rookie season. And yet, here I am recommending a 51% fab bid after his breakout game. 10 catches, 189 yards, 13 targets, led the Giants by eight targets, threw a punch, got ejected. Like, honestly, I can't remember the highs and lows of a rookie like this since maybe like Albert Bell played baseball. But uh, what are your thoughts on Tony? Give us like your preseason thoughts and then whether he changed your mind at all or whether this was just like a weird thing where all the Giants were injured and what else could they do? I think it's still a little bit of that. Like, I think he just kind of happened to have a really good performance against a, a Dallas defense that is not bad, but it's mm. really volatile. Like, they have really good plays and really bad plays. And I think, you know, yeah. uh, Trevin Diggs in particular is, is very much they like that. They remind me of the Chiefs. Like, when the Chiefs were really functional defensively, it was like they're yes. playing for turnovers almost more than anything else. So it's like splash plays can kill drives, but they allow the people to move the ball against them too. Exactly. They're like a very gash or be gash defense. And when they're still getting the big plays that they're getting, that's fine, especially when you have an offense that is like top three in the league. You know, it, like you said, it's the Chiefs formula, basically, and it's working for them right now. So I think that was part of it for Tony. Part of it is just, I don't know, it does seem like he has gotten his legs under him. Like coming into the season, he was a guy who was a prospect who was really, really explosive, but didn't necessarily run very clean routes. He was a guy who didn't really seem to have any nuance to him. And I still think that that's partly true. But then you saw like earlier in the season, he played, I think it was against Washington. They uh, like PFF said he had played like 21 snaps. And if you watch the game, there is mm. no way that you think he got like <laughs> one or two targets on like screens. And then other than that, it's like he's not even on the field. So to me, it was insane that he went from this player who the first three weeks he was barely on the field, and then when he was on the field, he looked invisible unless they were throwing in screen passes. He wasn't getting open on anything legitimate. And then a couple of guys fall out of the lineup due to injury, and all of a sudden, he kind of looks more like a real receiver. To your point, I still think it is a little bit of opportunity, both between yeah. other injuries and the defense that he just played. But I don't know. There might be something there, but I'm still probably leaning towards when they get guys healthy, he's going to get pushed more into a gadget role again. So I, I'm kind of a mixed mind right here. You know, I love to play stupid trivia with you. And let me ask you a trivia <laughs> question here. So 
Uh, Tony played 54% of offensive snaps. Uh, Galladay played 35% before he suffered the knee injury. As mentioned, Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton were already out inactive because of hamstring injuries. So we got three other wide receivers, 60%, 44%, and 31% snap shares. Curious if you can name those three, uh, Derek. Any thoughts? Oh, my God. I don't think that there's <laughs> any way that I could do that. Okay. We got John Ross. He was leading the, the Yeah, Ross 60%. is the only one that I know because they're very adamant on making him a thing again, which I guess if they don't have Slayton to stretch the field, maybe what, else what do you, you need? Do? Yeah. <laughs> All right. 44%. I just wrote down Johnson and I'm like, mm, is it Colin Johnson? It could be. T- yeah. I don't even hundred percent know which Johnson that is. And then we got CJ board at 31%. So when he's you say on a that, roster, uh, Oh yeah. He, he, I think he returns punts for them too. So like he, he's getting, a, getting some work in, uh, but <laughs> so that I think this kind of hammers home your point that, you know, what were the giants really going to do at that point? They were down, they had to throw, they didn't really have anybody to throw to besides Tony. But that all being said, I mean, the fact that he had the production that he had, I mean, if you look back at historical precedents for that for rookies, it's kind of all good. So I I was looking back over the last decade or so, there have been 14 wide receivers that have had 150 yards in a game as a rookie from the past decade. And from a fantasy perspective, they were all great. So three of them ended up being wide receiver ones for the year, Justin Jefferson, Michael Thomas, and Odell Beckham. Three of them ended up being wide receiver twos for the year. A.J. Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, Mike Evans. Four became wide receiver threes. D.K. Metcalf, D.J. Moore, Sammy Watkins, and Michael Floyd. And four became wide receiver fours. Um, the three did. Darius Slayton, Keelan Cole, and Terrence Williams. The only one that didn't make any of those lists is Traquan Smith. So you're talking 13 out of 14 of these guys had real fantasy value that year. And even the guys like, you know, Keelan Cole and Terrence Williams, like those seem like long forgotten names at this point, but their careers kind of fell off track in future seasons as rookies. When they had those breakout games, they had a lot of fantasy production. And so kind of at this point, I'm just like, are we overthinking things not to look at this and be like, wow, that was a really good performance. He did a lot of cool stuff. Maybe just pick him up. (laughs) You know, like this could work out. All these other giants are injured. Who could say if they actually can make it back and be healthy? I mean, Sterling Shepard has been injured all the time in his career. So even if he makes it back for week six, you know, like he may be out in two more weeks too. Just, I don't know. Or I think we would we be overthinking things to just be like, oh, you know, there's still some gadgety nature to this guy. He did what he did, right? Yeah, I mean, he did what he did. And also like he I still have questions about what his floor and consistency is going to be. But if you're still if you're looking for like a, a high mm-hmm. uh, variance guy, a high ceiling guy who could maybe randomly win you a league or something. He's probably going to be your best bet at this point in the season. What I will say is while he had a lot of production, he had one play that was like a bomb deep ball down the field that he like kind of punched the defensive back to the (laughs) ground and got away with it, which like that's probably not a sustainable business model for anybody, let alone one free punch a game. And then the second punch you're going to get called. That's just exactly. See, he got away with the first one and then he pressed his luck after that. (laughs) But I mean, (laughs) so, so that particular production in that way is probably not sustainable, but he still had like a hundred yards outside of that, which I think to your point is even if I think he's inconsistent, I mean, he did what he did. So, and he, like to me, like all I'd ever really heard about him was gadget player. And I knew he wasn't super huge. I think he may be six feet, but like, he's what, 185 pounds he, or something. Like he's he not also a, just like looks and plays smaller than mm-hmm. he is. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. like, you know, Nuke Hopkins is like six one, but you think that he's six <laughs> five. Like he's like, the, Tony's kind of the opposite of that. 
but but because we have so few players like that, like my mind immediately is like, oh, like is he Tavon Austin? Like that guy didn't work out. Like so, like it's mm. easy to kind of make these mental leaps. But it, however, the the production came on on Sunday. He also was doing stuff that like real receivers do in my mind, like jumping and, and catching the ball on the sideline and toe tapping to stay in bounds. Like really good body control. I thought his routes looked better than I expected for a guy that basically didn't play all preseason and barely played at Florida until he was a senior. I mean, there was a, like a diversity of skills there that I didn't necessarily expect to see as somebody that didn't do any scouting of them. Uh, and so to me, like that's part of the encouragement too. It's like this guy wasn't exactly fluking his way to this, this yardage. Like maybe he was being force fed the ball a little bit, but he was getting it in different ways. So I like, that's encouraging. Don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the fact that, like I said, the first two or three weeks, he literally could only do gadget stuff. And I think mm -hmm. that was, I thought was going to kind of be the yeah. plan for him this year. Um, but to your point, even though it was like, he got more real wide receiver reps basically because of injuries to other guys, whether or not, again, whether or not I think he consistently do it, he did prove that he could kind of do it as a, a real wide receiver in this instance. So I don't know. I, I still don't love him long-term, but mm -hmm. at this point, you're probably not going to get any higher ceiling picks at this point. Okay. So, I mean, I think that makes sense. I would say the shallower the league you're in, the more you should probably spend on him because like he mm -hmm. could be a league winning type of player or he could yeah. be kind of a nothing for you. Right? It's, a, it's a home run swing. And if you, <laughs> if you strike out, it might be bad, but it's, if, a, it's if a serious connect, well, situation. Go. Got to stick in with the, the bad baseball metaphors. Uh, by the way, we're live on YouTube among other places, but you can chat with us live on YouTube every Monday through Friday, 1 PM Eastern time. Our, our messages are heavily skewed toward the league of legends fans. We got one saying that, we should start League of Legends Outsiders and Philip, go trademark that. Go get us that website right now. Uh, don't don't let that just be out there for the public to steal from us because I feel like that's a big money maker. Uh, but again, let's stick with some football for a little while. Our second waiver recommendation: Alex Collins, running back for the Seahawks. I think I probably went high here compared to what the consensus would be from other fantasy analysts, saying a twenty six percent Fab recommendation. Um, and this is maybe a little bit of a trap because Carson uh, he missed Week Five, but that was on a Thursday night has 10 days to heal, but we don't exactly know what's wrong. Like we know he's got a neck injury. Pete Carroll kind of made it sound like maybe he won't be ready for week six. Like I'm wondering if there could be like a chronic issue here. And so I'm playing a little bit of the like ceiling versus floor here too with, with, uh, with Collins. But so much of this is just like, given that uncertainty, I feel really confident with Collins if he does get those opportunities because one, he's, you know, played a ton. He, he, uh, he played 71% of offensive snaps last week compared to just 22% for DJ Dallas and 12% for, for Homer, the, the receiving back and took 60% of the team's carries. Like to me, this is like an Alex Madison style, like handcuff where if, if, you know, if Carson's going to miss time, then Collins is going to play a lot. And I think he's a very talented player. So I, I'm just kind of banking on that, you know, maybe Carson isn't fully healthy, but stick kind of stick more with your thoughts about Collins, the, the player, you think like he could really be productive as maybe a running back too if he did get that opportunity over the long term? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think my opinion on him is pretty much unchanged from mm -hmm. I don't know if it was last week or, or two weeks ago that we had talked about him, but he's just like he, he's such a high floor runner. He does a really good job of, of getting downhill when he needs to. He can he can sift through garbage. Um yeah. granted, I think the Rams did a really, really good job of fitting the run um in this last game. So yeah. But I don't know if they if they face any defenses that are, you know, maybe just average or below average run defenses. I think he's going to get a, a much better chance to shine. I think really Seattle's issues in the run game are more like their offensive line is kind of iffy, which it's Seattle. That's kind of how this has always been, um, at least since like the Marshawn Lynch days. So, yeah, 
Um, but I think especially now that they are going to have to play Geno Smith, it's looking like. I mean, it's probably more likely they're going to try to lean on the run game um, or continue to do so. So I think he's probably going to keep getting opportunities. And like you said, it's not really clear when Chris Carson is supposed to come back. And if Collins can play well in the span that Carson is not back, yeah, I don't really think Carson offers a whole lot that that Collins doesn't. Um, Carson is maybe a little bit more of a bruiser and can kind of give you that. And if you're, if you need a guy who, who really just needs to soak up body blows, he's probably yeah. a little bit better for that. But I mean, I think even when Carson comes back, Collins just offers so much, um, that he's probably going to continue to at least split the carries and stuff. And I, I think Collins is a pretty decent receiver. And I think we yeah. saw that a little bit on, um, on Thursday. I was going to bring that last point up too. Cause like that, to me, that's something that a little bit differentiates Collins from Carson. And like, we were talking in the preseason, like he might actually beat out like the homers of the world. And, you know, Rashad Penny, when he was healthy for f- five minutes as kind of a receiving back option for this team. And to me, the receiving is going to be so critical to him having fantasy value if Carson misses time, because, you know, with Geno Smith in, like that's going to probably bring the safeties up a little bit closer to that bad offensive line. Right. Plus, like with the schedule piece of it, like the Rams were obviously a really bad fit. They were the number two run defense DVOA last season. So not surprising. He didn't get a ton of yardage. But in week six, they're playing the Steelers. They're number seven uh, from DVOA run defense through the first four weeks. So that's tough. I think they're playing the Panthers coming up. It's like it's kind of a tough slate. But with Collins getting the, the big percentage of offensive snaps, again, 71%, even though he didn't get a ton of targets this last week, I think with Geno Smith in there at quarterback, he could be seeing four to six a game, you know, check downs, maybe some screens and stuff, try to make it a little bit easier on Smith. And I think that might be the ticket to his fantasy value where he, he may only be getting, you know, 60 to 70 rushing yards a week, even as the featured guy. But the versatility in there, I think, makes, makes a big difference. Absolutely, because even some of the other backups that you had mentioned um, for Seattle's running uh, running back core, like a lot of them, they only really get passing rep downs because they're blockers. Whereas like Collins is like you said, he's he's really more of a guy who can actually go out and catch passes. So uh, Joey sucks on on YouTube asks when Gino played like twenty years ago, did he tend to target his running backs? You know, like frankly, I don't really remember that. In my head, Gino played a little bit more Jameis Winston ball. Um, yeah, <laughs> but like so does so does a uh, Russell Wilson, right? So like you know, any, the, any kind of uptick there, like it wouldn't be that hard to see. So like my, my suspicion is he'll probably target the backs a little bit more than the offense did overall, even if it won't end up being like Teddy Bridgewater, the Christian McCaffrey kind of a situation from last year. So like, I take all of that as a positive. Uh, again, I'm not sure the efficiency is going to be there, especially if you're talking about Steelers matchups and stuff coming up, but that's why I'm, I'm pitching the 26% bid is because I think that Carson may be hurt more than we think. And I think Collins can be like a legitimate, you know, every down back fill in while, while that is, is the case. All right. We got some more backs to hit. Um, some more injuries, unfortunately, Clyde Edwards, Lair. Uh, I missed this because I'm an old man and fell asleep, but Clyde Edwards, Lair sprained his MCL in that delayed Sunday night uh, game against the bills. Uh, it's, you know, not nearly as bad as it could have been. You always fear the worst for it with a knee injury, but still likely to miss at least a few weeks, I would say. And then in his absence, Daryl Williams really got more of the work, five carries and five targets compared to two and two for Jarek McKinnon. So Daryl Williams pops as a 21% fab bid for me this week. What do you think about Williams? And do you think that like, could Jarek McKinnon be a little bit more involved than we might be expecting based on what we saw there and just like the general workload so far this season? I would hope so. Um, <laughs> because he's super. Pers- I don't know. Yeah. I mean, personally, I, I think Daryl Williams is, 
he's not necessarily like a bad player. He's just like a very nothing kind of player. Like he, he does a lot of things at an okay base level. Um, he's quick enough. He's decent enough through contact. He can kind of get uphill sometimes, but he's a little mm. like, he's not always like the quickest to just jam his foot in the ground and get up the field. So he's kind of just like a nothing player to me. And I have to imagine that either the chiefs are going to try to a little bit lean more on Jarek McKinnon, like you mentioned, or they're just going to start to abandon the run game a little bit. I mean, they have Patrick Mahomes. They have one of the best um, pass catching groups in the league. Um, Their offensive line has, the tackles have not been as good as I think they were hoping. Um, But still, I think they are probably okay. Just being like, well, we have Patrick Mahomes. Maybe we just don't, we won't run the ball as much now that we don't have our first round running back. Um, who was playing very well, by the way. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you know, he had got a lot in the flack for a rookie, but mm. he was playing really, really well this season, especially the past couple of games. So I think having him out is really going to hurt the offense, and I don't really see Williams as a guy who they want to give a ton of volume to. And I think even if he gets a ton of volume, I have a hard time seeing him being particularly valuable. So um, I think what you said, a 21% fab bid, I'm just not even too that's excited excessive. about that. I think that's yeah, why we're I'm like not too excited about that figure. Um, I hate to stun on myself, but like all of that Clyde Edwards Alaire criticism, it's all fantasy related because like he's not scoring mm-hmm. touchdowns. Like that right. doesn't really have a ton to do with his value to the Chiefs in general, especially because of how effective they are throwing the ball in the red zone, something that a lot of teams struggle to do. So That's like to point. me, like I'm with you that this is going to be a significant downgrade. Um, and I don't think it's really going to work for you in fantasy the way you expect it to. Um, so I mentioned that the 10 versus four, uh, combined opportunity splits for he and McKinnon, but the snap shares were much closer together, 43% and 31%. And like, to me, I would actually use that ladder split as a better indication of what I expect from their, their actual touches going forward. Uh, so t- to me, that kind of skews it a little bit more away from Williams than you would even expect. Now the one silver lining, and I was kind of mentioning this with Edward Solaire about the touchdown scoring, even when Edward Solaire was healthy the first four weeks, Daryl Williams was getting worked in more and more in the red zone. He has 1.6 expected rushing and receiving touchdowns this season compared to 1.3 for Edwards Hilaire. So you do expect that probably to be something that he'll do even more so with Edwards Hilaire absent. So you may be able to sort of touchdown your way to some effective RB two days going forward. I mean, the, the chiefs are in the red zone constantly, right. With their, with their passing attacks. So like that, it's not super unrealistic. But also, like, Patrick Mahomes has been running the ball a lot more because of this situation, too. I mean, I think he's up to, like, a – I was working on the projections this morning. It's like a 17% carry share. I mean, it's – you know, we're not talking Lamar Jackson's up there, but we're talking Daniel Jones kind of range. I mean, it's it's a subtle shift, but one that I think is probably going to make Williams more of a flex option for me going forward, especially hearing what you're saying about, like, non-special talent is kind of the way that, it, that, that I'm getting from there. And maybe that's a good thing for a backup for a team like the Chiefs where you're looking to avoid the downside, but – this may not be nearly as, as appealing a fantasy role as you would expect. Uh, Joey sucks says, I would love if the Chiefs stopped running and Andy Reid got criticized like the Chiefs team is the 20, 2003 Eagles. Um, I haven't actually looked at the DVO updates, but like the Chiefs are probably still either number one or number two in offensive DVOA. So like we they were running the ball well too. We before this really, game at least. <laughs> we shouldn't really jump off a bridge about, about this situation. I know the record is what it is, but um, I don't know. Like Williams is a worthwhile fantasy pickup, but I, I don't think he's a slam dunk. And it, there's a reason that I have Alex Collins ahead of him, even though Williams has the the more obvious short-term path to playing time. 
All right, let's let's shift over. We got a couple of 49ers players that I'm going to recommend here. Let's kind of do them together, honestly, because I think one of them is really important for the other. The first one is is Elijah Mitchell, actually. So I, he was the hottest pickup in week one. I think you and I probably stand by what we said at the time about his talent level and likely to get work, but obviously missed a handful of weeks with an injury after that. But he got dropped in maybe a third of leagues. I'm seeing 68% roster percentage in both ESPN and Yahoo. So I set a 12% fab bid here. Like, honestly, I think he's going to be a solid RB2 the rest of the way. But I, I'm kind of trying to interpret what your league might be like if he ended up back on the waiver wire there. I think in a lot of like the deeper and more serious leagues, nobody would have dropped him. But I want to bring him up part and parcel with Trey Lance, who got a start. Um, I'm suggesting an 11% fab bid for him. And keep in mind that both of these players are entering their buy in week six. Also, there's a chance that Trey Lance kind of got banged up a little bit and may not be healthy in week seven, even if if he was going to play, I think it was always my guess that Jimmy G would be back for week seven from the calf strain with that, the few weeks of rest there. But let's talk about Lance first, um, kind of an uneven performance, but a very interesting one for fantasy with uh, what do you have? 16 carries for 89 yards as a quarterback, kind of extreme His 41.4% carry share the last two weeks. Uh, it's like ridiculous for a quarterback. Lamar led quarterbacks last year with a 30% share. So it's like, who another another thirty three percent up from that? What are your thoughts from Lance, the player? Like, do you think that he has a chance to start if if both of these guys are healthy, or did he show you that you know Jimmy G's probably going to be this guy for the long haul? I mean, I think I said this last week, but like, I really really like Lance as a long term, um, mm -hmm. like real life option. I think he was yeah, yeah. A, an awesome prospect, but he's just so young, and you could see it out there on the field. Like, he's just not. He kind of knows, I think this week in particular, he did a lot better, like getting to the correct first read, reading the, the right side of the coverage, actually knowing what was on a particular side of the concept. You know, I think Nate Tice actually posted a play from his first action where he, it looked like he was trying to read a smash concept on one side where, you know, where you have like the hitch and then the corner out over the top, but he like read it to the wrong side of the field of where the actual concept was. And so that stuff was very much like, <laughs> oh, he's very young and doesn't quite yeah. know what's going on yet. Um, this week, I think was a little bit better on that. I think he's still a little bit slow coming off and getting to his next reads. Um, but I don't know. He managed the pocket a little bit better. The accuracy is still kind of up and down. So I think if this Niners team, for whatever reason, thinks they can still win games and like get to the playoffs, they're going to end up going with Jimmy G. Personally, I don't think they can win enough games and really like fight for a good playoff bid at this point. Um, I think they're kind of behind the eight ball, especially in that division. So I mean, I think Kyle's probably going to want to lean back on Jimmy G. Again, I really like Lance as like a long-term guy. But again, I think you're really only getting rushing value out of him. And I think the 16 carries he got in this game, while he's probably going to get eight plus in every game, 16 yeah. is probably on the high end there. No, I absolutely agree with you there. And it's funny you talking about him being really young. I was actually just listening to the to Tyson Robert Mays on the Athletic Football Show talking about how I think that that Lance was the fourth youngest quarterback to ever get a start in the NFL. Like in the preseason, you heard a lot about, oh, this guy like didn't play last year because his team didn't play because of COVID. Like he's only had whatever it is, 12 starts in his college career or whatever this guy probably isn't ready to be a quarterback in the NFL. And it kind of puts you in a really weird spot as a fantasy player, knowing that the less ready he is, the more valuable he might be from a fantasy perspective, because the more often he tucks and runs, the better it is for your fantasy production. That's just the way the scoring works. And mm -hmm. so I, I'm still holding out hope that Lance can be kind of what Jalen Hurts was last year, where 
you know, even in December when he was completing 50% of his passes, he was crushing it in fantasy because he was running and running for touchdowns all the time. And so I'm kind of saying this 11% fab bid, it's about looking for that December from him where he's completely a stash. I don't think he's going to start in week seven. He may not start in week 12. Like, I think that's the situation you're looking at, but the, the upside is so huge from a fantasy perspective that I think that kind of justifies it. Let's bridge this back into the conversation about Mitchell, because again, if Lance is taking 16 carries a game, that really affects what you're <laughs> going to see for, from Mitchell's you know, carry shares. So back in weeks one and two, when he was the main back, 54.4% carry share, that was 16th highest among running backs. This last game, it was a 31% share. That was 38th among running backs. But like he took nine of the 12 non-quarterback carries. Trey Sermon basically barely played. So I think like when I'm looking at this, I'm saying like it seems like Mitchell's clearly the guy. If they go back to Jimmy, get a more traditional offense, the backs are doing more of the running. Suddenly Mitchell's like a slam dunk RB2 again. Do you see it that way too? Yeah. I, I mean, to your point, if Lance is going to keep stealing this many carries, it could be a problem. But like I said earlier, I don't think he's going to be carrying the ball 16 times every game. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. kind of unreasonable for any quarterback, even if you're, you know, built like Cam Newton, which he basically is. Yeah. Um, what I will say is like, I think Mitchell in particular is better for the way the run game is going to work now because Trey Lance as a runner, he can do all the outside stuff and he's plenty fast and can, can get yeah. out to the edge. But like you draft him to be a running quarterback because he can run between the tackles. He can do all the QB power, QB, um, counter read stuff where he can really punch it in. And when you have your quarterback being the guy who can punch it up the middle, it really opens up more opportunity and, and like, you know, an avenue for your running back to be the guy who's going to be able to threaten the edge and stuff like that. And so I think that's probably why they're going to end up wanting to continue to lean on Mitchell so long as he's healthy. So we got a question on YouTube. Again, we're live Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube, among other platforms. You can chat with us there and ask us whatever questions you'd like. We got a question asking if if he sh uh, the, the the user should drop uh, Latavius Murray for, for Daryl Williams. I wouldn't. I, I honestly think no. you're kind of hoping that Daryl Williams becomes Latavius Murray, but you're not sure, right? Plus, it's a short-term deal. So, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think it's pretty clear you're sticking with Murray. The Ravens... Like, I don't really know what they're doing with the running game. They're kind of going back and forth because uh, they they deactivated Tyson Williams in week four, but played him over Le'Veon again this this Monday night. But Latavia seems like the one constant. Like, I think you're getting a Gus Edwards type of line from him this season. And to me, that's more valuable than even what Darrell Williams upside would probably be. All right, back to the waiver talk. Let me scroll down. All right, up next, we got Dawson Knox tight end for the Buffalo Bills. I'm recommending a 7% fab bid here. His actual production uh, for, from that Sunday night game, I think is a little bit deceptive. Three catches for 117 yards and a touchdown. His his big play was over a 50-yard touchdown that was kind of interesting. Like Josh Allen was escaping pressure and rolling out to the side, and Daniel Sorensen just kind of like stopped covering Dawson Knox for some reason. I'm not sure what the game plan was, but – he, maybe he didn't realize that that Allen could just throw the ball 50 yards on a rope like that. But that was an easy touchdown kind of blowing it. But I'd say there are a lot of reasons to be really encouraged about what Knox has done so far this season. He played 96% of offensive snaps on Sunday, which is a career high. He's also played 78% or more in four straight games, but only reached 70% three times all of last season. So I think there's a lot of signs of encouragement. What are you seeing from Knox and what I believe is his third year in the NFL? Is this like is this the the slow evolving, you know, breakout that you see with a lot of the better tight ends in the league? I think it is. Um, and, and you know what I'll say really quickly on the the Sorensen thing is. <laughs> so I think what happened is Knox was running a corner route, and obviously mm -hmm. Sorensen is playing like leverage over the top of him. Yeah. 
against all but like four quarterbacks, you can squeeze that route to the boundary. And then you're like, it's covered. The play's mm-hmm. over. I got my guy. He squeezed to the boundary. There's no way anything can happen. Allen is one of the four quarterbacks who's <laughs> going to like break the pocket and do something really insane. Yeah. Um, and Sorensen must have forgot that, which is weird because he plays against one of the other four guys in practice every day. Um, so, I mean, I think that's what happened there. But I think to your point, Knox, I think is really coming along. And I think you can especially see that he's become really good at a lot of things. I mean, I think you saw in that play, he is getting a little bit better at just finding ways to, to open himself up late in the play. Um, I think he had a rep a couple of weeks ago against Washington where they like split him out by himself, um, you know, in gun. And like, they, they let him go run like a red zone route. I think he just ran like a fade and caught a back shoulder. But hmm. I mean, the fact that they are kind of a bunch of different things, I think is really encouraging. And he's also their only good or functional tight end or even like fullback body. Like he's the only guy yeah. in that offense that can do any of that. And I think that alone is going to get him on the field at least 75% of the time, kind of like you mentioned. I mean, he's the only guy that they, that can do it. And I think you saw week one when they went away from that a little bit um, and they tried to be more like wide open, more empty, more four and five wide receivers. They don't have the line to protect that. And, and like Daw- no- Dawson Knox, having him in the formation and at least threatening six-man protections and stuff that way is really valuable to the offense. And I, I think that's why he's going to continue to get to get looks. I also think that that big body nature is going to continue to get him looks in the red zone, which I think is going to be critical to his fantasy value. His his 13.5% target share this season is 19th among tight ends. Like on its own, that wouldn't make him a fantasy starter. But he's got five receiving touchdowns. I think that's the most among tight ends. And while that's a big surplus over his 2.6 expected total, actually it's the biggest surplus of the position, even that 2.6 expected total is like second highest among tight ends right now. So I, like I think it's a very fair expectation in that offense with Allen that he's probably going to be top five in, in touchdowns in the position. And so like especially in, in non-PPR formats, but even PPR part, formats, I think that's going to probably bring him into the top 10 at the position, even with a relatively lower target share. And so, yeah, I mean – I suggested a 7% fat bid here, but like this is one where you need to read your fantasy league a little bit more too, because, you know, if, if guys like Dalton Schultz are long gone in your league, there just may not be a lot of tight ends to even target. And and granted Knox is up to like 70% roster percentages too. So he may not be available either, but I'm having a hard time coming up with with tight ends that you want to add the guys breaking out lately, like your Kyle Pitts of the world they've long been, they they were drafted, they're Mm -hmm. on rosters. So you're not going to be able to find these guys that really pop for you this year. So I think he's definitely worth even more than that. If you're in a league where the the options of the position are dwindling, right? Right. Uh, Speaking of those Falcons, like we're not talking about any of these, these guys from, from a, um, from a waiver wire perspective, but we got a good question on YouTube here. A guy could trade Antonio Brown and Cortland Sutton for Corderell Patterson and Hunter Renfro in a half PPR league. And frankly, I'm shocked that I'm saying this, but I would make that trade. To me, there's two angles to this. One is Cortland Sutton. I think you're trading high on Sutton now because Jerry Judy suffered that high mm. ankle sprain in week one. I think he could be back as soon as week seven. Um, I actually made him a waiver recommendation that we're going to talk about in a little bit here, but like, when he played in week one, he was clearly the number one guy there. So I think Sutton is probably going to take a little bit of a back seat when that happens. And with Patterson, the carry share keeps rising. He, he carried the ball more than Mike Davis last week. And if he's going to be running eight to 10 times a week, plus seeing seven targets a week, like, you know, I don't care how good of a player he is. That kind of workload means you're going to be a top 10 running back. So like to me, if you need running back help, that's an absolute no brainer, but am I getting fooled here with Patterson again? Like the, 
that that Falcons game in London, they didn't really have a lot of bodies to throw the ball to, right? Yeah, I mean, and that Jets defense is also not particularly great. Um, their defensive line, I think, is actually like better than they've performed, but I, I mean, still they're they're not performing particularly well right now. So um, this feels very much like a trade. Like if you're valuing the high floor. Patterson and Renfro probably make sense because they're going to continue to get a lot of work. Whereas like Antonio Brown, I mean, you saw what he did this past weekend where he had like a 60 yard catch and run or something insane like that. So you're probably not going to get as many of those plays. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. If you need a high floor and I think, especially if you need running back help with Patterson, I mean, he's going to probably continue to get a lot of the workload. One more question from YouTube. This guy has Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert in a fantasy league. I mean, he says, what should I do? Maybe cancel Let your league. Let this guy draft like, for this, me. This is, this is over. <laughs> like, you, you were winning this league, bud. Um, but he says, should he trade one or one of them or both, uh, keep them both? I mean, I would say trade them, trade one probably. Like, you can probably get yourself like a running back two or better, um, a very valuable piece for your team. You're not going to want to play matchups with players that good at quarterback. Mm -hmm. As for who you should trade, I don't know. I'm not sure I feel strongly. Like, I would say Herbert. I think the opinion of him is so high at this point that that might be a little bit outside of like the expectations, but these are both top five quarterbacks for me in fantasy right now. Like Derek, do you have any, any fears for either of these guys? Do you have any inclination of who you should trade? I mean, I don't know. It's so tricky. I, I guess I would maybe value having Jackson slightly more because one, he, I mean, they're both playing out of their minds. So I guess mm. that's not really a, a like deciding point. Um, yeah. But Jackson is obviously going to have more rushing value, um, generally. Um, and also, this is beat up and not playing very well. And I think they're going to end up in a lot of situations where they're having to throw the ball a lot, um, which is also kind of the case with Herbert um, yeah. for different reasons. The Herbert one is more like the offense can't run the ball at all, which I guess is also kind of true of um, Baltimore. <laughs> so now that I'm talking about it, it seems like they're very, <laughs> very similar situations. And it's really just who do you think is the better player? Um, and I, I guess for me right now, it's slightly Lamar Jackson. Um, but I guess that you could say Herbert has more help. So I, I don't know. This is, a, this again is like a very impossible question to answer. <laughs> well, why don't we just leave it at, you know, Kenneth Anderson, that's who asked the question. Congrats. You're going to win your league. So yeah. don't yeah. worry about Congratulations, it. Congratulations, man. <laughs> um, now for the rest of us peons that have really problems on your roster, let's, let's head back to the waiver wire stuff. Uh, next up we have Miles Gaskin running back for the Dolphins. Uh, he was, you know, rostered in pretty much every league, but then had a really weird week four. So here are his snap shares by week, 54%, 61%, 52%, 23% in week four, and then back up to 69% last week. Touches by week, 14, 9, 16, 2, and then back to 15. Really weird situation. Brian Flores didn't say anything about Gaskin being hurt in week four. I haven't seen any reporters reporting that maybe he was hurt in week four. So I can't really say what happened, but like, is Gaskin back to being somebody that needs to be rostered in a league? Like I know he's, he may not be the bell cow back that people were hoping he would be in week one, but he did just have 10 targets. He's like one of the more extreme targeted running backs in the league. So in any kind of like PPR type format, he needs to be rostered at this point. Right. Probably. Um, Cause again, the, the I think especially like if Brissett is going to be the quarterback, um, he's kind of a guy who's extremely like, He's going to hold out for the deep throw as long as he can. And then if he doesn't, he's just going to check it down. That's kind of what he mm -hmm. does. Um, the, I will say the production that he got on those targets, very misleading this week, I think. Like he had one or two 
um like i think one of his touchdowns he was just like wide open and not a single soul was trying to cover him which like that's probably not going to happen every week <laughs> um, especially if you if you're yeah. uh trying to if you happen to match up against a pretty good defense so i think he's probably still going to get the volume but i don't think he's a particularly spectacular player yeah um and i think especially with the, the miami offensive line not being very good um I, I just think it's basically a bet on volume and him getting so many chances that he simply like can't be bad for you. And there's a bit of a whack-a-mole nature to this backfield in general. Like we've seen Malcolm Brown and Salvin Ahmed alternate between like mm-hmm. zero touches and eight touches the last few weeks right. as well. So, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Gaskin had another game where it's like he just vanishes all of a sudden. Uh, but by and large, he seems to be the one that's controlling the backfield. 69% snap share this last week compared to 9% for Brown and 20% for Ahmed. So I think it's relatively safe enough. Now, the other element here is that Tua Tagalovea could be back this week from a rib injury. And if not, it's probably going to be in like week seven or so. Does that move the needle for you? Like, I know that the public at large is very pessimistic about what he's done in his career so far, but, you know, he only had like 31 pass attempts this year. So it doesn't really seem like a fair shake for the guy. I feel like maybe he could be significantly better than what we've gotten from Jacoby Brissett and make their running backs more productive. But like, what's your read on Tua and what he might be doing for the backfield too? I mean, I think Tua should be better than Brissett on some level. Um, And I think kind of to your point, we barely saw him this year. So it's kind of hard to gauge exactly how much he's really progressed, but I I don't know. I'm kind of iffy on him in general. And he's very much more like, I I would rather wait and, have him prove that he is that much better of a player um, mm-hmm. rather than just assuming that because he was a first round pick and has another year under him that he's going to be. Yeah. Um, and kind of like to my point with Brissett, like Brissett's a guy who's, you know, he's going to hold the ball as long as he can. And if he, if he doesn't get the deep shot that he wants, he's just going to check it down. Um, and at Tua, I think is probably a little bit more, um, he's going to force passes more a little bit over the middle to his receivers. Um, or, and then he's just going to scramble. Like I, I think Tua is a little bit more of a guy who is, is going to let his legs do the do the work for him rather than yeah. just kind of getting himself to a check down. Okay, I think that's fair. All right, you got more running backs to hit. Uh, I, this is actually a repeat name, A.J. Dillon running back for the Packers. I think we brought him up last week, but another encouraging week with eight carries for 30 yards, four catches for 49 yards and a touchdown uh, on Sunday. I'm recommending a 4% fab bid here. So like clearly not expecting him to necessarily pass Aaron Jones, but it seems like the workload is kind of on the rise. What are your thoughts from what you've seen from Dylan so far? I mean, I think he's a good player, man. I mean, he's he's not going to generally have the highs that Aaron Jones has, and there there's yeah. still a reason that they they obviously keep Aaron Jones on the field as a player. But man, Dylan is just he's so big and so <laughs> strong that he just I mean, I think he just gets really good consistent gains and he has just incredible hands for a player mm-hmm. his size. Like guys that big usually aren't that comfortable finding the ball out of the backfield, but it's just something he's proven that he's really good at doing. And I think that's probably going to continue as the season goes on. So, um, you know, to your point, he's never, he's probably not going to catch Aaron Jones, but I think they realize that he's a good player and they want to keep him in the lineup um, and really use him as much as they can. Yeah, I think I was so pigeonholed into into the Derrick Henry comparison that I just I underrated what he could potentially do as a receiver because like he really is playing more the Jamal Williams role in this offense, which actually made Williams, I think, a top 30 or so target share among running backs over the last couple of years. It seems like Dylan is getting that. I wrote down his touch volume. It's gone from five in week one to six, eight, 16 and 12. 
So trending very positively, but it seems like about a third or a half of those per week are coming with catches, which is obviously more valuable from a fantasy perspective. Love that. But it's the the size, like I really think that he could have some strong fantasy value getting about 10 to 12 touches per week. And the size is part of it too. You mentioned it. He's six foot, 247 pounds. By BMI, he's more or less the biggest back in football. Last year, he was, I think, top two in yards after contact per attempt uh, with, a granted, a very small volume of carries, but it makes sense for his build and his running style. And I thought that that might translate into red zone success. And while we didn't really see that in weeks one to four, when he had just two combined touches in the red zone, he had five red zone touches this last week, obviously punched in that, that reception near the goal line too. To me, I think I said this last week, Derek, but like it makes a lot of sense for the Packers who signed Aaron Jones to big money on an extension. Maybe let you know let the bigger back here in Dylan handle more of that work near the goal line to keep Jones healthy, um, which wouldn't necessarily be great news for Jones's fantasy value, but he'll be fine. But to me, it may it may turn Dylan into even with his low volume, like a flex consideration, even in PPR leagues, which is something that I didn't necessarily see coming for him this year, given the sort of expectation you have for a player that big but like it's versatile it's versatile it's it's really encouraging yeah and, and i think also this is like a very simple way to put it but like we trust that green bay offense to to be yes. good pretty much week in and week out obviously the week one against the saints was like mm-hmm. whatever they got behind the eight ball like 17 to 3 super early and the game script just like gets thrown out the window and that's not like a real game anymore especially in week one so I think we trust this offense to be, you know, like a, a top seven, top five unit going forward. And if he's going to be a guy who gets, I don't know, 35, at least percent of the touches in that offense, he's probably going to be a pretty good flex option at the very least. Yeah. And probably have a couple of weeks where he's better than that. Reminder to everybody that we're streaming live 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday, various platforms. You can catch us on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. But if you join us live on YouTube, then you can ask us questions. We have one here from Owen Meeks. He asks our thoughts on Allen Robinson and Marvin Jones. Um, I'll hit on Robinson specifically because I do have strong thoughts on him. I don't think he's a top 30 wide receiver in fantasy. And I know that's that's tough to hear for a player you were probably drafting borderline top 10 at the position. But this offense is just different in its nature with, with Justin Fields at quarterback. And I just I know that he's got a very accurate deep ball, but it seems like they're going to really try to play like a ball control offense running the ball. And unfortunately for Fields' fantasy value, like that seems more geared toward his backs than he himself running the ball the way that you might have expected with this skill set. But, you know, Robinson's going to probably catch some deep bombs, maybe get a few of them into the end zone. But I don't think he's going to be getting that like eight plus catches per game like he was getting in his fantasy prime. So to me, he's like, you know, it may be too late to trade him. But do you you think that has a chance to uh, change, Derek? I know that you really like Fields' skill set, but like they're not exactly letting him be who he was at Ohio state yet. Right. Yeah. I mean, I love fields, but I think it probably makes sense to be like a a run control play action, take shot plays kind of offense. And obviously Robinson's not necessarily their best guy for that. Um, Mooney is obviously going to be a little bit better for getting down the field. Even Marquise Goodwin, even though he's a lot less consistent. Um, I also think frankly, like Alan Robinson just isn't playing as well as he used to. Um, he, He was a really underrated player for a long time in part because his quarterback situations were just a disaster. Um, but this year, it just doesn't feel like he's bullying people at the top of routes like the way that he used to. It doesn't really feel like he's able to win contested catch points quite at the same rate that he used to. Um, not that he's a bad player necessarily. It just seems like, you know, he used to be this kind of dominant wide receiver one. And it kind of seems more this year that he's kind of just like a passable 
um, type of wide receiver one. Not wide receiver one fantasy. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah. And actually, I think Darnell Mooney has a higher target share on the year. Um, it, it's I, I bet he does, especially just with the way that Fields plays. It's pretty it close. Makes... Kind of piggybacking on that, Brad Montgomery asks, should he start Henry Ruggs or, or Allen Robinson as his second flex? I think it's Ruggs. Like, to me, they're mm -hmm. kind of similar in, in the type of works that, that they're getting, but. I think you trust the quarterback a little bit better in Las Vegas, assuming that like the coaching change won't won't like torpedo what's going on there. But to me, it's rugs. Do you do you agree? I agree, and I think more than just you know rugs kind of having this um, epiphany in, in his second year or whatever. Derek Carr has actually done a really good job this year of, of holding the ball a little bit longer and being more willing to make kind of crazier throws down the field mm -hmm. late in the down. Um, he had one in particular against Chicago that. It, you know, he kind of had rugs working back to him um, like 30 yards down the field, which Derek Carr usually doesn't do that type of stuff, but he trusts rugs to make these kind of plays. And so I think that that's really encouraging for him. Ruggs has a, a way higher ceiling, I think, right now than Allen Robinson, unless you think the Bears offense can consistently get all the way down the field into the red zone and, and Robinson's going to get a couple of red zone targets. That's really the only way. But I think rugs is, is probably the better bet here. Yeah, so keep those questions coming on YouTube or, or wherever, and then please subscribe to us and all of those platforms where you like to watch us live. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, sticking with the Bears here for another waiver recommendation, we have Khalil Herbert, the, the six-round rookie running back for the Bears. I'm suggesting a 3% fab bid here. His performance on Sunday, I think, is a little bit of fool's gold. He had 18 carries versus 16 for Damian Williams. Uh, played 53% of offensive snaps versus 48% for Williams. But Williams was clearly the lead guy earlier in that game. And when it, when it, it, it sort of became clear that they were going to be able to run very effectively. And that's when he got worked in a little bit more toward the end of the second quarter, through the fourth quarter, when they were up by a couple, a couple of scores through a lot of that. That all being said, like Herbert, I thought was very impressive for a guy that was a six round rookie. I had 2.8 yards after contact per attempt, which is a very high number. I know it's one game. I know that the offensive line had a lot to do with that. But what is your read on Herbert? And is he kind of making a, a role for himself in this offense with David Montgomery? Still probably going to miss at least four or five weeks from here. You know, I think if the offense gets into more situations where they have to press and keep up in games, Williams is, is definitely going to be the guy that I think they want to lean on more. He's, he's a little bit more explosive. Um, you know, he, he's, I think, more tuned to making plays. Herbert, though, I think kind of to your point, he's kind of like a, a lighter version of Montgomery. Like he's kind of like he fills more of that role for them. And if they continue to want to have this like split carry thing yeah. that they had with Montgomery and Williams a little bit, Herbert kind of fits into that. I thought he did a really good job in this game of just getting down the field, not wasting steps, um, not trying to do anything too fancy. I think he did a really good job uh, getting downhill. This uh, Bears offensive line, I still have questions in the past game, but they're actually a pretty <laughs> decent run blocking unit. Yeah, um, you know, when, when Peters can really um, just grind people down in the run game, he's good. James Daniels is solid. Like they have dudes to, to get stuff done in the run game. And I think if you're just trying to punch people in the mouth, Herbert is probably a little bit better than that, um, than Williams. Like I said, I think if they get into games where they have to go punch for punch a little bit more in terms of the scoreboard, Williams is probably going to be the guy. But I think Herbert is, so long as Montgomery's out, might still at least get a decent amount of the touches here. I don't know if I love him as like, mm -hmm. I don't know how much I love him as a play just because I'm not entirely sure what his explosive ceiling yeah. is. I'm not sure how many... Um, you know, big gains he's really, really going to be able to rip off. And I'm not sure what they want to do in the red zone entirely. But I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad bet to me. 
honestly, I'm more intrigued from a like a dynasty league type of perspective here. That's mm. that's why I'm recommending mm. the three the three percent fab bid is is pretty low for like a redraft format. Uh, it's a great problem for the Bears to have, but like I think Montgomery has always been a super underrated player. He's always a leader in terms of avoided tackle rate and some of the metrics that I think are more running back responsibility um, than necessarily having like a low yards per carry total that that could have a lot to do with run blocking and usage, et cetera. Uh, and so to me, it's like encouraging that he he flashed as maybe having the skills, but there could be another major wrench in this with Tariq Cohen's on the PUP list. He may come back in week seven, uh, frankly, haven't heard any updates about whether he's ready or not, but I think it's been close to a full year since the original ACL tear there. So like this could become a very crowded situation very quickly. And that may kind of erase the value that, that Herbert would have in the short term, but a very encouraging debut. And it also may be the case that he's kind of less similar to Tariq Cohen than Damian Williams is. So like maybe he'll get messed with a little bit less there than you would expect with a return, but um, encouraged, even if it's not necessarily a, a strong fantasy play right now. Uh, let's see. We have a question on the, on the two on Williams and Herbert. Uh, Joey Suck says it's worth a call out that Chicago's defense looks pretty good so far too, a uh, fifth in, in total DVOA. I think that probably is a good point. Like to me, the game script side of this is that if the bears end up falling behind by multiple scores, like they're not going to be able to do this run heavy game plan. Uh, and so there may be a little bit of like, like a matchup component about whether you would want to start Herbert or not. Frankly, I wouldn't necessarily have expected the Bears to do as well as they did last Sunday, but anytime they're playing like the lions of the world, like that may be the opportunity to ride with Herbert in your deeper formats, or maybe a sort of a DFS flyer. Um, whereas he may not be an every week start whenever they're playing. I don't know. The Packers just kind of throwing out a team that might like light them up defensively, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think I agree with that for sure. All right, a couple more names to hit before we wrap up the show. Ramondre Stevenson, running back for the Patriots. Uh, there was a time when I was writing this that I thought it might be more, but I settled on a, a 2% fab bid. Damian Harris ended up suffering what looked like a rib injury, something like that, uh, on Sunday, but the the x-rays or, or whatever the case may be were, were negative for a serious injury. He's day-to-day. -day. I think it's very likely he'll play in week six. But this is a little bit of a play re reacting to Harris not being as effective this season as he was previously. Entering the week, uh, he actually had a negative 21.2% rushing DVOA. That was third worst among running backs with 32 or more carries. I'm just going to say that I don't think it's his fault. The Patriots, their offensive line is in shambles. They have a 3.20 adjusted line yard mark as third worst, basically the third worst run blocking team. So I don't think Harris is responsible for this. He's got 2.0 yards after contact per attempt. Pretty good. Uh, he actually, you know, was much more efficient from like a basic yards per carry perspective than Stevenson on Sunday. But I'm not going to pretend like I can understand what's going on in the Patriots' decision-making processes about these sort of things. He had his second fumble of the year. Like, does that matter? Like, it seemed to matter when Stevenson fumbled in week one, and then he got inactive for the next four weeks. So I don't know. Like, to me, I'm going to pick up Stevenson for a couple of weeks and see what happens. This was his first game active since week one. Uh, and I kind of expected originally when James White got hurt that Stevenson would get a little bit more into the mix. He played over J.J. Taylor this week. Do you think that he'll play more going forward? I just I think I'm entirely out on trying to figure out what's going <laughs> yeah. on with this backfield, both in terms of like how they're going to to delineate all the snaps yeah. and also just like kind of to your point with like the adjusted line yards, like the, the, the offensive line is not as good as I think people were hoping it was going to be. Yeah. And also, and also I think I, they had a couple of guys injured um, recently, which is not good. I think like as I, Isaiah Wynn um, might be out for a little bit. So that's obviously something to keep an eye on, but also like defenses, 
they, they can just trigger up on everything because Mac Jones is never going to punish them. So that you get safeties and corners who are always able to come up and I think be a little bit more active in the run game because you just don't have the threat of being being hit over the top. And so I think that's probably hurting the running backs a little bit as well. I mean, I think that's definitely true. I, and I would have said before the year that, you know, maybe Stevenson was a little intriguing as the bigger back, six foot, 227 pounds. Maybe he would be the one that was a little bit more successful pushing the pile those yards after contact. To me, that would be like a good fit for a bad offensive line, kind of like what I was saying with Najee Harris in Pittsburgh uh, that's kind of worked out from a fantasy perspective so far. But the fact of the matter is, even if Damian Harris is a little bit smaller, he's a pretty effective after-contact guy, too. I'm not sure the stylistic differences are there as much as you would think looking at the two players. And so, you know, with the Patriots, it could happen at any moment. But I don't think I'm ready to say that Stevenson is necessarily going to be a, a, like a major role in the offense. If you want to pick him up in a deeper format to bench him and see what happens, fine. But I wouldn't say you're not going to start him, say, in, in week six. I think that's pretty clear, right? Mm-hmm. All right, next up, I teased it earlier in the show, Jerry Judy, 2% fab recommendation here. He's been dropped in maybe about a quarter of leagues. Uh, and to me, it's kind of a no-brainer. You're, you're kind of trying to pick him up a week early because that way maybe you won't have to spend half your fab on him. But he could return as soon as week seven, probably, um, from that high ankle sprain that he suffered back in week one. He had seven targets on just 31 snaps in week one, which is a 0.23 uh, targets per snap rate. Deontay Johnson led wide receivers last year at 0.20. Granted, small set sample caveats, blah, 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 blah. But like he's clearly the number one wide receiver in Denver, right? When he's healthy, more so than even Cortland Sutton. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, he's just so like, he just gets open. I mean, that's like such a, a simple way to put it, but he's just really, really explosive. Um, he's just crazy at the top of his routes. Um, you're hoping that the the hands issues that he has as a rookie don't crop up again. Mm-hmm. Um again this year but i mean he's just so good at getting open he's really explosive with the ball in his hands i mean i think to your point he's probably sutton might like demand more coverage as a number one wide receiver in the nfl but like judy is when you have both of them you can't cover both and if they're going to cover sutton judy's gonna it's kind of like what the dallas cowboys have with with all their guys with um with like Lamb and Cooper and, and Gallup and all that sort of thing. So yeah. I think Judy is really good. And I think getting him back into the offense is going to be huge because I think you've seen the Denver offense the past couple of weeks. Part of it has been quarterback injuries. Part of it has been offensive line injuries, but they've looked a little defunct. And I think getting him back in the lineup could could really fix a lot of things for them. You actually brought up a, important, a couple of teams related to Brad Montgomery's question on YouTube here. He wants to know whether he should roll with Fant or Dalton Schultz. Uh, going forward he wants to trade one of them for a running back uh actually both of these guys i think may be a little bit up from what i expected from them fant because albert O, the bigger touchdown scoring tight end is, is on injured reserve right now so fant may have a little bit more scoring opportunities in denver schultz kind of what we talked about when we were talking about him from a waiver wire perspective seems like he's providing an underneath option where a lot of their receivers for all of their talents a little bit more overlapping is field stretching options what are your thoughts here derek um, you know, I think Fant is significantly the better player, but because mm-hmm. Dallas's offense is is so reliable and you know they're going to be a top five unit pretty much every week, and, and kind of like you just said, Schultz offers them something in the underneath game that they don't necessarily have from, from their receivers. Yeah. Not that their receivers are bad at it, but they're a lot better at other things, um, and Schultz kind of gives them that. I would probably lean towards Schultz just because I think um, yeah, like uh, the opportunity I think is going to be pretty consistent and we know that offense is good and just 
by virtue of the offense being good, mm-hmm. he's going to get chances to be good. It's 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 pretty hard for like a, a either a run focused or like a mediocre passing offense to support three receivers in fantasy. I think we've seen that over yeah. and over again. So it's like if you know that Sutton and, and Jerry Judy are going to get theirs when they're both healthy, and you know that CD Lamb and Amari Cooper are going to get theirs when they're healthy. For the third option, you're going to pick Dak Prescott over Teddy Bridgewater, right? I, I think that's kind of like the, the the way there. So I would stick with Schultz and trade Fant. The only caveat would be whether Schultz maybe his value may be higher now than it's going to be. That's probably true because he scored a number of touchdowns the last few weeks. So if like if that makes a difference from the trade perspective, go for it. They're both top 10 tight ends in my mind, but that's who I would trade. Uh, one other trade question here from Owen Meeks. Uh, Jalen Hurts and Antonio Gibson trading for Diggs. Um, so Stefan Diggs, I think I have him as the number two or number three receiver at this point. I think he's super valuable. Obviously, Hertz and Gibson are both valuable too, but I would make this trade because I I'm I still fear that Hertz may not be the starting quarterback come fantasy playoff time. So it's like, you know, he's going to be a top 10 slam dunk option for you at quarterback in the interim, but you can kind of play matchups there if you need to behind the fact. I'd rather get the best player in the deal and lose the player that I think may not help you down the line. We've talked about that before, but as you're have you changed your your thoughts on Hertz at all? I just watched him play the Panthers last week, and while he he beat us and we were terrible, uh, I can't say that he like impressed me as a passing quarterback. I, I just don't know what to think. Yeah, I, I'm still not really there on Hertz. I mean, there he did play better, I, I think, over the second half of the game. But there was a point in the game where he was like 20 pass attempts for 35 yards, which is just impossibly useless. I mean, that just doesn't make even against a good Panthers defense. That just doesn't. It just doesn't mm-hmm. make a whole lot of sense. So I think kind of, I think I agree with you in the sense of just get the best player here. And I think, you know, we saw it a little bit um, on Sunday against a, a really bad Chiefs defense that the, I think the Bills offense is sort of starting to to get its legs under them. I think they had a couple of weird game plans early in the year, but they're really starting to get into a groove and understand what this collection of players do best. Um, and I think with that, you're probably going to get a little bit more production out of Diggs just because if that offense is rolling and he's their best guy, it's probably going to be pretty good for him. Yeah, Diggs has underwhelmed a little bit in fantasy, but I think it's just because they've beaten some teams by 30 and 40 points, right? Like it, yeah. it's a little counterintuitive, you would say, with that many points, like clearly everybody's going to be getting theirs. But in those circumstances, it's almost like might as well save Diggs, right? Like because guys like Emmanuel Sanders are scoring two touchdowns, it doesn't really matter. Uh, so, so they're making that work. All right, we got one more waiver wire guy to hit. This is really more a deep league only guy, but I thought it was worth bringing up. Jamal Agnew, wide receiver for the Jaguars at a 1% fab bid. Uh, this is the game that I thought LaVisca Chenault was going to have a little bit of a breakout because DJ Chark got injured. That that brought what I thought like the, the number of relevant fantasy receivers down to two on the Jaguars. And, and Lawrence is throwing the wall at his receivers enough to support two guys from a fantasy perspective. Chenault, as, as the underneath guy, I thought would probably get a pretty hefty target load. The opposite happened here. Turns out Chenault got pushed outside, was really playing more of the DJ Chark role, saw just three targets, had a deep catch for 58 yards, but you know overall wasn't heavily involved in the offense. And suddenly Agnew, who I think traditionally has really been more of a returner, he was playing out of the slot, played 63% of snaps, and actually tied for the team lead with uh, eight targets on the day. So like this is, again, it's a deep league only option, but if he's going to end up playing slot for the team, could he have – the, the target volume we kind of thought Chenault had, or is this maybe a lot more of a one-week wonder in your mind? I'm more willing to say that this is a one-week wonder. Um, may, maybe depending on, you know, how quickly some of the other guys get back, that he could, mm-hmm. you know, maybe have a little bit more of long-term value, long-term opportunity. But 
I mean, he's never really been a guy who's actually played um, played wide receiver and gotten a decent amount yeah. of targets, which I think is part of it. And also, like this Titan, this Titans defense sucks. Like they just they, they don't they don't they can't cover anybody right now. I think um, they're like 25th or something in, in defensive DVOA against the pass. Yeah, they're 25th. I mean, and it's not even just that I don't think they have very good players right now. They've had a ton of defensive uh, miscommunications. I mean, you saw even against. Um, they were playing against the Seahawks. They had like mm-hmm. Christian Fulton completely blew a coverage, just decided he didn't want to cover the deep third. I mean, they, they just seem like they're a defense that's all over the place, which is the, and like, that's the perfect opportunity for a Jaguars offense that is also discombobulated to happen to have their number one quarterback, like do a decent job. But I don't know. I think if they run into any defense that sort of halfway knows what they're doing, I, I just don't really see how this, how this works out. All right, we've got a couple more questions before we close this up. Useful Baker, circling back to that Eagles conversation, points out that the Eagles schedule does get easier going forward. And while I agree that's true, I think the Panthers, and, and really not they're not the only team, but I think there's a blueprint on how to stop Hurts because he's really only throwing like screens and other short looks, getting yards after the catch, and then stretching the field specifically down the sidelines. To me, there's like a huge swath of the middle of the field that you don't have to defend. So I think you may be surprised to find that defenses that you don't think are very good are going to have success stopping the Eagles. That being said, from a fantasy perspective, Hertz is going to be fine because he's going to run the ball and that's going to work and he's going to get points that way. But I, I still fear that he may not be there by, for you for the end of the season. Uh, Joey Sucks asks, Derek, do you have any thoughts specifically with Odell Beckham? After his first game, I think he got more than 30% of targets his first game back, but is is really underwhelmed the last couple of weeks. I think had a bunch of drops Last week, I don't know if we think he maybe he's not healthy, but have you seen anything with Beckham that uh, affects your mind for his fantasy value going forward? I think it might be partly he's just not all, all the way there health wise, which I'm not sure when or if that's ever going to fix itself. I mean, he's yeah. had health issues basically his entire career. And I think he even got into action later this year than people thought he was going to i also think part of it is like they just have a pretty good wide receiver room like donovan peoples jones is actually a really really good player even though he hasn't gotten a ton of volume um up until i think this past week he he actually finally got some targets so i think that's part of it is that they just have a bunch of different ways to win they're also just a really heavy run offense um they do a lot with their tight ends which is going to take targets away from a guy like odo beckham so um i think all of that is part of it and honestly this might me me be uh me projecting my thoughts on Baker Mayfield, but it seems like there have been instances where Odell Beckham is very frustrated with what Baker has done, even though Baker has like generally been kind of productive. So yeah. I think it's just like a really bad mix of a lot of things for Odell Beckham here. So quite possibly a better real life player than a fantasy option for you. Yes. Uh, although <laughs> hasn't been, been tremendous for me, the respect going forward. So hate that for you, Joey, but appreciate the question. Appreciate all the questions on YouTube. You can join us a Monday through Friday, one to 2 PM Eastern time. Please subscribe to us there. Um, please subscribe to us on the football outsiders uh, podcast network. You can get all of our podcasts there after the fact, give us a five-star review, please. That really helps us find new subscribers. Uh, Derek, this has been really helpful. Thanks for going through the waiver wires for me this week. You do it every Tuesday. We appreciate it. Tell us what else you have going on on Football Outsiders and elsewhere coming up. Yeah, um, not sure what I'm going to do for my film room this week. Um, I'll probably figure it out a little bit later. So um, that's always fun to try to. Please don't do Sam Darnold. I don't want to watch any more of that. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I'll save the Sam Darnold um, (laughs) come back to earth article for maybe maybe a little bit later uh, when we know that's for sure what's going on. Um, 
And then also, I think over at Bleacher Report, I do the, the front seven NFL draft stuff for them. And we're going to start getting in some preliminary grades, I think at the end of this week, and then have a big board a little bit um, later after that. So, Excellent. Everybody check that out. Check out Derek on Twitter at QB Class with a K. Uh, swing back here to hear me on Friday talking the week six fantasy preview with some DFS thoughts. But again, we're, we're every day of the week. You can check us out tomorrow too. It'll be uh, Mike Tanier and Aaron Schatz doing an Ask Me Anything feel free to send in some questions or chat with them on YouTube live. They'll answer whatever you got for them. So we look forward to that. Thanks so much for listening and watching and we will, you'll see you again tomorrow and Friday.